right, you guys already know what book we're going to be in, but if you don't have a Bible, you need to go grab one off the back table where you walked in. Mr. Corey's grabbing them. There's a whole bunch of blue ones back there because we are going to use them pretty much every single Wednesday night that we come in here. If there's a Wednesday we're not using it, something's different. So we're going to use those Bibles. So what book have we been studying? Really? What have we been studying? Titus. Okay. It's on the screen. Make it as easy as possible. Um, like I said earlier, it's taken us a little while to get through this book because we, we actually started, I think I wrote down the date. Well, no, I didn't. It was back at the beginning of May that we started this book. And it's a short book. I mean, there's only three chapters, but this is the sixth time we've been in this book. But with everything that's been going on and, and the, the mission trip and camp and all of these different things, it's taken us that long to get through this book. But what we're going to do tonight as we jump into the last seven verses of this book, we're going to see Paul kind of come full circle. He started off this book talking about a couple different things. He was talking about how there's false teachers. He was talking about setting up uh, the correct leadership in the church. He was talking about all kinds of stuff. And tonight he kind of wraps it all up in the last seven verses. So before we jump into those verses, let's do what we do every time we study a book of the Bible. It's always important to know what it is you're looking at when you're studying a book. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions that I'll ask you every time we walk through a book. And the question, first question is this. Who wrote the book of Titus? Paul. Okay. Where do we believe Paul was when he wrote it? See, I get y'all with that one every time. I've told you guys before, most of the time when somebody says, where was Paul when he wrote a book? If you say in jail, you're probably going to be right. This is one of those rare occasions where that's not the case. Okay. We believe he actually wrote this somewhere um, after Acts chapter 28 when he was released from prison in Rome. So we don't know exactly where he was, but we know he's probably not in jail this, this like one rare time here. Okay. When do we believe it was written? Okay. Somewhere around 63 to 60 what? To 68 AD, sometime in that time range. Okay. Who did he write it to? To Titus. Who was his mentee? Chloe's just firing him off tonight. Why did he write it to Titus? Somebody besides Chloe. I know you know the answer and you're doing an awesome job. Why did he write it? Who said that? McKenna? Yes, to encourage him. That, that's exactly right. He wrote it to encourage him, but there's a couple other things that, that he was doing in here. What else did he write to him about? Do you remember the main thing? What was it, Brie? Say that again. Yeah, how, how, how to set up leadership in that church so that they were actually doing things the way that would work, the way God wanted them to work. Okay, he's going through all of these different things, whether it's encouragement, whether it's setting up leadership. The entire theme that runs through this whole book is this idea that what you say you believe should affect the way that you live. That's what he keeps coming to when he's talking about leadership, when he's talking about false teachers, when he's encouraging Titus. All of this comes back to if you say that you believe Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, if you say that you believe what God's word says about who he is and how we're supposed to live, it should affect everything that you do. Every relationship that you have, every area of life where you interact with people, whether it's school or work or home or the ball field, all of those places, if you say you have beliefs that you hold to with all of your life, then those beliefs should affect the way that you live all of your life. 
And that's what Paul has walked through with Titus here. Remember, he first started talking to the church and saying, hey, church, this is how you're supposed to treat each other. And then he went, church, now this is the way you're supposed to treat people who are outside the church. So he's saying everything that you believe, everything that you say you base your life on, it should affect the way that you actually live your life. And he's going to bring it all back together tonight in verses 9 through 15. So I'm going to ask you to do what I ask you to do every week when we read a chunk of scripture. I'm going to ask you to stand and to follow along with me as I read those verses. We're going to be in Titus 3, starting in verse 9. He says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that, that as we spend time in this tonight, as we wrap up this book and this last chapter that we've been walking to or walking through for so long, God, I pray that you will help us to see what it is we're supposed to walk away from tonight with. God, how are we supposed to be different because we've been in your presence and we've been in your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and have a seat. And let's just walk through this. Let's jump right back into verse 9. Look at what Paul's writing here. He says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. He's basically saying, don't waste your time arguing about things that don't really matter especially in the church. Let's talk about this for a second. How many of you, you have a sibling in your house? Older, younger, you have a sibling. Okay. Ever found yourself in an argument that didn't really matter? Now, no, 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 stop, stop. That's a yes or no question. Stop it. I know that is your life. I've seen it. Absolutely. We, if you've got siblings, you know exactly what that looks like. If you've got any family members, you know what that looks like. You start to get into an argument about something that most of the time, nine times out of ten, is probably pretty stupid. You know, and like, for instance, I'm not going to name names, but there's been times in my house where arguments have broken out about who's going to feed one of the animals. When it really doesn't matter who feeds the animals, what matters is that the animal gets fed so it doesn't die. That's what matters, Right? The argument doesn't matter who fed it last, who's supposed to feed it now. Just feed the stinking animal so it stays alive. Arguments that don't matter. Arguments that prove unprofitable and worthless. We do the same thing in the church. I've heard people get in a disagreement about what color a room is going to be painted. It's a wall. Pick a color and paint the wall. Okay, it, things like that. It's things that, that, that don't really matter at the end of the day. And in fact, if you go back a verse to where we ended a couple weeks ago on verse 8, look at the difference between what Paul has just written in verse 9 for, as opposed to what he wrote in verse 8. Verse 8 said this. He said, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works 
these things are excellent and profitable for people. And that's where Paul has walked through how they're supposed to treat other people and how they're supposed to interact with each other. He said, those are good things. That's what I want you to focus on. That's what I want you to tell the church they're supposed to do because when they do that, they're going to be profitable. And that doesn't mean they're making money. What that means is they're doing the things that God has created them to do. It means they're doing the good works that God has prepared them for and prepared for them. He's gone from talking about what is good in verse 8 to warning the church about what is bad. And the funny thing is, this isn't the first time or this isn't the only time we've seen Paul talk about this in Scripture. He writes some almost exact same language to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. 2 Timothy 2, 23, he writes, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. He says, hey, there's stuff that's going to come into your church. There's going to be people, false teachers, who are going to come in and they're going to twist the gospel and they're going to twist what scripture says and they're going to use it to start divisions in the church. They're going to use it to start arguments and quarrels. You need to stay out of that. Don't get bogged down in those things because when you get bogged down in those things, scripture tells us right there, your life becomes unfruitful, unproductive, because you're so focused on who's right and who's wrong that you forget what it is God's called you to do. The way that you're supposed to share the gospel with people, the way that you're supposed to pursue personal holiness as you study God's word, all of the things that God has called you to do, you don't do those things because you're distracted. For some of you, it's kind of like this. You have a cell phone and you have social media apps and you have games. And those in themselves are not bad things, right? I mean, they're, they're meant to be good things. They're kind of neutral. It all depends on how you use it. For instance, when you pull out that cell phone and you start checking your social media apps and two and a half hours later and 65 reels and three new TikTok dances, and all of those things, all of a sudden, you have been unfruitful for the last two and a half hours, haven't you? Because you've sat there drooling, staring at your phone. Hey, I'm guilty, not the TikTok part, but I'm guilty of staring at my phone for too long too, just because I can't dance and nobody wants to see that anyway. But that's that's what happens. It, it makes us unfruitful because we come we become focused on something that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Now, those aren't bad things because, yes, it's a great idea. Keep up with family. Keep up with friends. See what's going on in the world. But so quickly we get sucked into the things that don't matter that we forget what it is God's actually called us to do. And even that begins to cause unrest and, and quarrels and fights because somebody will post something and you look at that, oh, no, she didn't. And now you get mad and you're upset about something or you're mad at somebody because they told you they were going somewhere and couldn't go do something with you and now they're out with somebody else and they lie to you and it's all right there on social media. And it causes fights and it causes quarrels and it causes division. That's what he's talking about. That's, 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 a, that's a poor example, but that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, don't get focused on the things that don't matter. Because when you get so focused on the things that don't matter, you forget what it is that God's called you to do. And now you're not living out what you say you believe. 
You're spending too much time on these things that are a waste of time. And a lot of times, the way Paul addresses it, he's given the implication here that those things are brought into the church by those false teachers that he talked about earlier in the book. The people that come in that are there to serve themselves. The people that come in with their own agenda and their own decisions about what they want to do instead of actually sticking to what Scripture says the church is called to do. And that's why he turns his attention to those people in the next verse. Look at what it says again in verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Paul says in the same way that we don't need to get distracted by the things that don't really matter, we can't let ourselves be distracted by false teachers who bring those things into the church in the first place. We can't be distracted by them. He says in love, you're supposed to confront them. He actually, he, he lays out exactly what scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Scripture tells us when you know that another believer, someone who claims to be a disciple, is actively sinning, is actively causing division, is actively not pursuing Christ, you're supposed to go to them. And you're supposed to say something to them. I don't want to describe it to you. Let me read it to you. Matthew 18, 15. Here's what it says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So if something is happening, you're supposed to go to him and say, hey, I love you, but this, this isn't right. This, you're, you're not living in a way that honors God. But then look at the next verse, 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. He says, go once, and if they don't listen to you, take somebody else with you and go again and talk to them about it. And then look at what he writes. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So he actually takes it a step further than what Paul's talking about. He says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector, which, by the way, those weren't people that the church people, the Jewish people wanted to be around. Those were kind of the outcasts. The Gentiles, you were not Jewish. The tax collector, you're the guy that turned on your own people to serve the Romans. So those weren't people that anybody wanted to be around. And, and that's exactly what Paul was describing is supposed to be done when it comes to people who stir up divisions, these false teachers. He's saying, hey, go to them, try to do something about it. If they don't listen, go to them with other people. Try to do something about it. If they don't listen, then get rid of them. It's kind of like this. Some of y'all can't see it from up here, but I've got a little scar on my arm right here. And it's been, golly, it's been a few minutes. It's Yeah, Michaela was not born yet. Kathleen was pregnant with Michaela when this happened. I was in El Salvador, and I slipped on a mission trip, and a piece of metal went in my arm. Oh, yeah. If you ever want, I actually have video of the hole in my arm. I can show it to you sometime if you really want to. Some of y'all are like, yes. Some of y'all are a little puking a little bit in your mouth right now. But here's the thing. When I went to the hospital in El Salvador, which I don't recommend anytime soon. But when I went to the hospital, the doctor didn't just go, that's a pretty bad cut. And, and just wipe it off with like an antiseptic wipe. No, because there had been a piece of metal in my arm. What he did is he took an antiseptic wipe and he put it in my arm and moved it around a little. Hey, here's the best part. The first time he did it, he used numbing 
he, he numbed my arm. The second time he did it, when I went back, he didn't numb it that time. That was fun, let me tell you. But here's the thing. Hey, after he did that, he actually went in there and he cut out some of the tissue inside my arm because he had to get the dirt and the grime and anything else that was still in there. And had he not done that, and this is what the doctor told me when I got back to the States, had he not done that and just sewn up my arm, the doctor in the States said I would have lost this part of my arm because that dirt and that grime would have gotten in there and gotten infected and just caused all, it would have wreaked havoc in my arm and it would have cost me that part of my arm. That's what people are like when they stir up the vision of the church. That's why Paul's saying what he's saying. Because when you've got people that are in the church, when you've got false teachers who are twisting what Scripture says, it becomes an infection. And it starts to cause quarrels. And it starts to cause division. And before you know it, churches split because they've lost the fact that they're supposed to be focused on what God has created and called them to do. And they've gotten distracted by everything else. Paul says, get them out. That doctor, he had to get that junk out of my arm so that my arm could do what it was supposed to do. Paul says, Titus, when you've got people like that in your church, you need to get them out of your church because it's going to destroy the church. And he even says right here, you don't need to feel guilty about it. We tend to, to, to kind of put on kid gloves and, and, and we don't want to cause problems and we don't want to call people out. And we don't want to offend people. And yes, that's why I said at the beginning, you need to do it in love. Because the goal is not just to tell somebody, hey, you're wrong. You need to get out of here. The goal is to say, hey, you're not following scripture and I love you and I want to see you live a life that honors God. But he says, if you go to them and they refuse and you go to them again and they refuse, he said, get them out of there. Because at that point, They've had the opportunity to follow God and do the right thing, and they've chosen not to. Now it's on them. That's, that's what he says right there. You don't have to feel guilty. It's kind of like when your parents give you a rule. Anybody's parents give them rules? Do they tell you the consequences for those rules? I'm willing to bet at least once they have. What happens if you know the rule and you know the consequence and you choose to break the rule. He does it worse than the consequence he told you. Okay, that may be the case. But if you know the rule and you've been told what the consequence is, when that happens to you because you break the rule, guess what? You have no right to be surprised that you get the consequence. Because you were told. You knew it was coming. And that's exactly what he's saying. When you've got these people that are causing problems, these people that are disrupting the church, it says when they make the choice to continue to go down the road that they've gone down after they've been told and they've been told, you don't need to feel guilty about actually carrying through the consequence. Because now it's on them. In fact, look at that word, the way he describes it again. He says, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. They've made their own choice. We're simply called to be true to Scripture and to make sure we're not the person that's talking about. And he starts to wrap this up here and bring the conclusion in the last couple verses. Verses 12 and 13, he says, When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. 
basically what Paul is telling uh, Titus here is he's saying, I'm sending some people who are going to give you a temporary break. He's saying, I'm sending them to help take care of things where you are so that you can come spend some time with me. Now, according to scripture, we don't really know anything else about this guy, Artemis. But if you read through the New Testament and read through the book of Acts, you see this guy, Tychicus, you see him several other times. He's somebody that Paul referenced more than once. Somebody that worked in the gospel, spreading the gospel with him. We don't know anything about this guy, Zenos, except that he was a lawyer. But this guy, Apollos, we know he was a companion of Paul. He was a co-laborer. He was a preacher of the gospel. He's another one that shows up several times. Paul has gone through, and what he's doing in these couple verses right here is something that we can miss if we just read through these names. He is reminding Timothy, hey, you're not doing this by yourself. Titus, he said, you're not doing this by yourself. I'm sending people to help you. I'm actually sending people to give you a little break who are going to continue to do the things I've instructed you in. And these other guys, hey, they're working alongside of you, and I want you to send them out and make sure they have everything that they need. He's reminding Titus, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Because guys, sometimes when we talk about this idea that what you believe should affect everything that you do in your life, we feel like we're doing that by ourselves. Because maybe you're in a situation and maybe you are the only person that you know of that's a disciple of Jesus, that's a believer in your class or on your team or maybe even in your home. And you feel like you're all alone. You're not. You're never alone because there's always other people around you who believe the same things that you believe, who are pursuing Christ, Lord willing, the same way that you're pursuing Christ and who are there to help you in what God's called you to do. If you don't believe me, look around the room for a second. You're never alone. And that's what Paul is reminding Titus of right here. He is never alone in trying to share the gospel. And in verse 14 and 15, he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. He's wrapping this up by basically summarizing saying, good works, good works, the things that you do that honor God, they are an external evidence of the salvation that is internal in your life. If you claim to have a faith, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, you say, he's forgiven me of my sin, I put my faith and trust in him, I'm following him with my life, then it will show. It'll show in what you do. It'll show in what you say. It'll show in the way that you interact with people inside the church. It'll show in the way that you interact with people outside the church. And it's crazy how we get that mixed up sometimes. Sometimes we're nicer to people outside the church than we are inside the church. But what he's telling us is we're supposed to live it out no matter where we are. Whether it's in this building, across the street, on the ball field, at work, at home, at school. You guys are going back to school in a week and a half. I know I'm the bad guy for reminding you. Week and a half and Cassidy's like, still love done. <laughs> hey. Guys, as you step on that campus in a week and a half for the first day of school, you have the opportunity to live out what you say you believe. To be the young man, the young woman that God has created you to be, that has called you to be. 
you have the opportunity to take what you believe and let it affect every area of your life. And the question I have for you as we finish tonight is, does it? Does what you say you believe actually impact the way you live your life? Think about that for a second. If, if for you, if the, if the answer is yes, then I would encourage you, when we stand tonight, when we start singing, maybe right there in your seat, you stop and you just thank God for giving you the ability through the Holy Spirit working in your life to continue to pursue Him on a daily basis. Because let's just be honest, if it were left up to you and me on our own, we'd fail every time. It's God working in us and through us that allows us to pursue Him, that allows us to live out what we say we believe. Maybe you just need to thank God for that tonight. Maybe you want to write it on a card and have a leader pray for you, just thanking God for that. Maybe you want to get down here and pray yourself. You can do that. But if the answer for you tonight is no, you're not living it out in every area of your life. I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to stop and ask why. What is it that's stopping you? Is it fear that somebody's going to think you're weird? Because you actually follow this Christ thing? Is it, is it fear that somebody's going to make fun of you? Is it fear that you're not going to fit in? What, what is it? Is it because you're the only one in your house who says you're a believer? What is it that's stopping you from living it out in every area of your life? Is it the fact that you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you've never come to the point where you've told God, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven of my sin. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. If that's you tonight, you can change that right here, right now. And you can pursue Christ with everything that you have from this moment on in every area of your life. If that's something you want to talk to somebody about, when we start singing, I'm going to be over here. You can grab me. You can grab any of the adults in this room. Mr. Court's in the back waving. He's always available. Or if you just got something you need us to pray for because you've got an area of your life where you are struggling to live that out. Maybe you just want to write it on that card. We will be prayed for. We will pray with you. But answer that question. Is what I say I believe affecting every area of my life? you can answer that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can come together and we can see who it is you've called us to be and what it is you've called us to do. God, I pray. I pray, God, what we're talking about here tonight is not behavior modification. It's not just doing all the right things. God, I pray that you'll help us have a heart that pursues you heart that's fully committed to you because that's what all of those other things matter. Help us to trust you. Help us to pursue you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.